Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Space Talk. Hope you're all doing well today. And welcome to another episode of Space Events, where we look at what's visible in the night sky every week, each week of each month. And we also include a little bit of space history, astronomy word of the week, and maybe some deep sky objects if there are any that are visible. So whatever you're doing this Monday morning, I hope that you are off to a really good start to your week, and I hope for clear skies, because we've got some pretty cool celestial events going on this week. So first off, just uh, some announcements. If you guys didn't get to catch the uh, interview with Dr. Charles Liu, that is now published and public, so you guys can definitely, um, if you wanted to go look for that, just scroll through the Space Talk previous episodes, and you'll be able to, to find that one. Another announcement is uh, there is a live chat feature on here if you ever want to type anything or ask anything. Um, I do apologize for those of you who typed something in the chat during the interview with Charles. Um, there was a bit of a bug through the app, and I wasn't able to see any of your messages until after the um, episode got published. So thank you for those who actually did leave messages and comments. I actually see Ada and Joshua are both here, and I believe both of you did leave some comments in the chat. So thanks for that. Uh, let's see if maybe it's working this time, which would be pretty cool. Uh, and let's see, we've got some special guest interviews coming up. I just went ahead and scheduled all future episodes for Space Talk for the rest of March. So if you wanted to sort of see what we have to look forward to coming up, uh, you can go and check that out. But tomorrow, we're going to do a whole new uh, intro to a, a recurring series, which is you know kind of like space events, but not so much astronomical things you can catch with a telescope in your own backyard for stargazing, but more so meetups. So going to meet at a star party or going to meet at maybe a space event that's happening at a museum, because there's tons of them that are happening around the entire earth, actually. I was going to say all over the US, but it's it's very global. And so I've made it a mission to look up all these different events that are going on in different cities, in different countries around the world. So if you guys have a request for maybe your city or somewhere you're going to be visiting, shoot me a DM or message, or maybe leave a comment in the chat. And I would love to um, cover your city. We're going to be starting with Austin, Texas. And that is because I'm currently here and that is South by Southwest that's going on. So there are quite a lot of events that are happening just within um, Austin for the rest of the month. Then I'm going to probably move into New York because that's where I know a lot of space events are happening because that's where I'm originally from. And then we have Los Angeles. Um, so anything after that, please send me a recommend recommendation for a city that maybe you live in or that you're going to be visiting. And I'll put together um, a list of different events that are happening. All right, so let's jump into March week three. Now, I've expanded my sources of information a lot more. Um, I decided to just kind of explore beyond just magazines that I have subscriptions to and different things online, which was mainly researching stuff through NASA, which is fine. But there are so many other... Um, obviously incredible space missions that have happened all over the world uh, from tons of different countries. So my effort is to try to make this as international as possible because that is the representation of humanity. When we go to space, it is a worldwide effort. It is to represent all of human beings. So uh, we've got a ton of events. Now I'm going to start with astronomy term of the week or astronomy word of the week. It changes every week. And I chose twilight reason I chose twilight is because a lot of events that are going on in the night sky or early morning sky happen around twilight. 
And it's not always clear when that is. So I decided to include a few charts in my uh, email transmission. If anyone wants to receive that email, you can head to astroathens.com. And I have some charts there, but I'll explain it for you guys now. Twilight is the time when stars begin to become visible at night. This is usually sometime after sunset or just before sunrise. But this is before the sky starts to get too dark or too bright. So sometime after sunset, just before the sky fades to dusk. So it's when the sun sets 18 degrees below the horizon, to be specific. This is about 30 to 45 minutes after sunset. So about 30 to 45 minutes after sunset, just when the sky starts to get dark enough, it kind of has this sort of still bluish hue to it. It's not totally black yet. That is when twilight is. And this is, I would say, probably any astronomer's favorite time of the day. Sunsets are beautiful for sure. Sunrises are beautiful, but twilight is really where it's at because you have this in-between color between sort of like a, a dark navy blue and maybe a little bit cobalt blue tied in there. And so if you ever paint the sky uh, and you want to paint twilight, that is during that time. So as I mentioned, that's when it, the sun is 18 degrees below the horizon. Um, if you wanted to check out some charts, again, I did. Uh, you can always look it up online, twilight conversion chart, um, and you can kind of see what I'm talking about. And uh, that is just obviously right when the sky gets dark enough for it to, uh, for stars to start to become visible. So what exactly is happening during twilight this month? Well, this week. So the must-see celestial events are for March 14th to the 21st. And um, the first two I grabbed from Sky and Telescope. So giving them the the great credit there because uh, they do a really wonderful job of putting together some of these events. And then the other events I will mention are just sort of things that I found on my own through uh, my own sky charts. So March 15th to the 16th, I actually like the description of how they wrote it on Sky and Telescope. So I am going to read the quote because it's really nice. The nearly full moon occults Eta Leonis. By the way, Eta Leonis is this area in the Leo constellation. It is the one of the dimmer stars just left of Regulus, a very, very bright star. And this is going to be the evening of March 15th, but only for some locations. So what you see in this image might not possibly be what you might see. And what the image shows is looking to the eastern horizon, you have the Leo constellation and the moon just about to approach a full moon is going to be passing near the bright stars Denebola or Denebola and Regulus. And it's going to eventually just touch the very tip of the Leo constellation. And this is then the bright waxing gibbous moon shines in the sickle of Leo. So if you haven't seen the Leo constellation before, there is an asterism within the constellation called a sickle. And this is something that uh, we've talked about before. Our asterisms are patterns found within constellations. Like the Big Dipper is not actually a constellation. It's an asterism within the Ursa Major constellation. And then we have the moon roughly below between Regulus in the lower right and um, Algeba, which is a slightly fenzer left of it for North America. 
Using binoculars to spot Eta Leonis at a magnitude of 3.5, very, very close to the moon. So without the binoculars, you might not be able to spot Eta Leonis, this kind of dimmer star. And that is because the moon is so luminous during its phase that it's currently at. And for the eastern um, of North, the, North America, uh, you'll be able to catch this sort of alignment between the two. But if you want to use a telescope, you'll be able to see the moon's narrow, dark limb approach the star and then it snaps it out. So you're going to start to see it slowly getting closer and closer and closer and then just completely pass by. So kind of depending on where you are, the time can vary. But as an example, for those in New York, this is going to be happening at around 7.51 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, March 15th. So that is going to be tomorrow night. And within the night, you should be able to start to see the moon passing through that constellation, eventually moving its way through other constellations. Uh, so that is for tomorrow night. So hopefully you guys can go ahead and catch that. And there was something else I was going to mention. It was the telescope. Okay. Well, we'll move into March 19th is the next event. So Saturday on March 19th, for anyone who is an early morning riser, send me an emoji through the through the, the app down below in your bottom right of your screen. If maybe you wake up early, you're going to have three planets aligning and about it's shaping a triangle within the Capricornus constellation, which if you guys haven't seen Capricornus before, it also kind of has this triangle-like shape. So you have Venus, Mars, and Saturn. And this is about 45 minutes before sunrise, so morning twilight. And this is going to be facing your southeast horizon. Ah, yes. What I was going to mention was keep notice of the daylight time. So we just went into daylight savings yesterday. So we now are using uh, Eastern daylight time or central daylight time as opposed to standard time. Uh, it was pretty funny thing. I, I never really paid too much attention to it until I was doing a show uh, called the tomorrow show. And, uh, it was just with like a bunch of really awesome, just, intellectuals and they shared with me like, Hey, actually, uh, it's, it's daylight time. And that was to sort of help pilots when they're traveling through different time zones around the entire globe, um, sort of keep track of their, of their time differences, like because of tying all the way back to farming. Farming is what, what was kind of, uh, the main reason for shifting into daylight savings just so that the crops wouldn't undergo too much, um, I guess direct sunlight. I think it was something along the lines of that. I could be messing it up. So if you know something better than I do with this, please call in and let me know. But I know that the reason why we tend to keep it today is just because that's how our time zones have become structured when it comes to converting hours uh, across the entire entire globe. And let's see, we've got no... All right, we've got a comment in the chat from Hector. No time change for me in Arizona. So everything that happens out of state is for me one hour off. Oh, that's so funny. I did not know that Arizona got rid of their daylight savings uh, switchover. That's pretty cool. Uh, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and just finish reading up this blurb for March 19th. In the early morning sky, just before sunrise, keep a lookout for Venus, Mars, and Saturn forming the shape of a triangle in the constellation Capricornus, low in the sky, facing your southwest horizon. Excuse me, southeast. That was a typo there if you got that email. 
Catch it either on your early morning commute or over your morning joe and see if you can catch all three planets. The tricky one might be Saturn as it sits lowest on the horizon. So if you're able to maybe slightly be elevated to catch it in the sky, uh, go ahead and do it. Maybe go up on a building, up on a hill. In the evening, there are some more notes from Sky and Telescope that I'd like to uh, share. The bright waning gibbous moon rises around twilight's end. So twilight's end is going to be just when now it goes into dusk and then darkness. So right when that sky is getting darker and darker. So the moon is going to be right up close next to Spica, about four degrees. And then um, you're going to be able to see those those two alignments pretty cool. And then you have Arcturus, really, really bright star, shining about three fists to the upper left. So remember we said one fist is about 10 degrees in the sky. So what I mean by that is if you hold out your fist right now, from your biggest knuckle to your pinky knuckle, or your index knuckle to your pinky knuckle is about 10 degrees. This is for an average adult-sized fist. I know that we do range in size, but that's about... 10 degrees in the sky. So once you find Arcturus, just go three fists to the upper left, and that is right where the moon will be. So that'll be on March 19th. Then for March 20th, Venus is at greatest Western elongation. That's about 47 degrees at 5 a.m. Eastern daylight time. And that is where it is now in its orbit around the sun and Earth is passing around Venus, it forms a triangle with a 90-degree angle between Venus, the Earth, and the Sun. It's a little bit difficult to sort of explain just by audio, so I recommend looking up a diagram so you can kind of understand the difference between those. Then on March 20th is, of course, the uh, spring equinox, and for, for the Southern Hemisphere, that is the autumnal equinox at 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And finally, on March 20th, Jupiter passes 1.3 degrees north of Mercury at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So if you're going to be able to catch that, that would be really cool. Uh, It should be about that time where it's not going to be super bright still at 6 p.m. because we're not yet in summer. Once we're in summer, you won't be able to really catch events around this, this time. But it should start to get a little bit darker, your sky by 6 p.m. And so try to catch those two planets right right across from each other, Jupiter and Mercury. All right, so those are our must-see celestial events for this week. Moving forward into other stuff that we've got. So we have our space history, and I decided to add in some extra space history. So if you did get that weekly transmission, you probably saw that in there. There were some things I wanted to include earlier in the month, and I honestly just forgot to. <laughs> I like did not include it in my transmission. So we've got some extra space history going on this month. And before um, we jump into that, for our deep sky objects, there are no deep sky objects that are too prominent this this week, like anything outside of what you typically could see. So I didn't include that in the transmission. But objects you can catch still in the sky are the Orion Nebula, that is within the Orion constellation. I got to see it last night. I was at this unistellar star party uh, for South by Southwest, which was super duper cool. Uh, And so you could still see that nebula in the night sky if you have a good telescope. Uh, Binoculars, maybe you'll be able to sort of kind of make it out because you could 
kind of see it with the unaided eye. In a low light polluted area, it sort of just looks maybe a little bit smudgy <laughs> with the unaided eye, but through a telescope binoculars, it looks stunning. If you guys want to see what that looks like, uh, you can head to my, my Instagram page. It's still on there. I just did a post with it. Um, so hopefully you get to go see it. Otherwise, just Google M42 with the Orion Nebula and see what I'm talking about. All right, for space history, by the way, just a reminder, if you guys ever want to call in and ask any questions, feel free to at any time. Um, you are not at all interrupting. All right, for space history, on March 14th, that is today, in 2002, SpaceX was founded. So, woohoo, SpaceX, all right. And they've got so many launches going on, it's absolutely crazy. Then on March 15th in 1929, Edwin P. Hubble published his famous paper on the expanding universe. Uh, I got to double check my typos when I send this email newsletter out. I wrote expansing universe. My bad. Uh, expanding universe. Expansing is, is not, not quite a word in this, in this context. If you guys don't know about that paper, about the expanding universe by Hubble, uh, it's what really transformed our understanding of just how big the universe is, uh, how our expansion has happened since the Big Bang, if we are going to be leading to what our, the end of our universe might be. There are four different theories right now. It's either that it'll keep expanding at its accelerating rate, and it's going to start to just expand and get colder and colder and colder and end in kind of the great quiver, quick or great, great coldness. I forgot what exactly what the term is, but basically everything is going to be so far apart from each other. It's, there's not really going to be any heat anymore. It's going to get very cold. The other thought is it'll eventually reach a certain size and just keep continuing along a timeline, staying at that finite size. Um, another one is that it will result in the big crunch where it's going to collapse upon itself. Um, and this is not so likely, at least a lot of uh, researchers are believing this, who research things like the expansion of the universe. And that is because uh, it is being shown and you can, you can observe these things that things are pushing out from one another. Things are expanding from each other. They are uh, really starting to stretch. And so uh, the fact that the, you know, the, the theory of the universe collapsing on itself isn't really likely. Um, and the, the fourth, the fourth one would just be, it would keep expanding, but not accelerate. So it would expand at sort of the same rate, uh, each, each day, each year, uh, but it's not going to speed up and eventually just inflate to, to infinity. So those are, those are the kind of, kind of a brief rundown of those sort of four different ideas of how the universe will end. Um, and we can all thank Edward Hubble, uh, March 15th in 1929, when this paper was published and completely changed our perception on the universe and the size of it. Then on March 18th in 1781, Charles Messier discovered M88, which was the first recognized spiral galaxy, as well as eight more galaxies in the Coma Virgo region. So this is a certain area uh, that he was able to observe, a um, certain area in the sky, certain area of the Virgo supercluster, where not only this one galaxy was, was detected, but eight more galaxies as well. So really, really big event, 1781, March 18th. Now for the extra space history. 
So on March 1st in 1989 was when the Canadian Space Agency was founded. So Canadian Space Agency, yes, awesome. Uh, if it wasn't for the Canadarm, um, someone somewhere would have eventually developed something else to probably grab space capsules and various other things to connect to the space station. Uh, like the space shuttles, when those were launching, those were being connected to the ISS by the Canadarm. And now it is also being used, I believe, for the Crew Dragon capsule and, and tons of other things like Soyuz, et cetera, et cetera. Then on March 9th in 2008 was the launch of the first Ariane 5 ESATV rocket. It delivered the first ATV, or Jules Verne, to the International Space Station, making it the heaviest payload ever launched by, the, by a European launch vehicle. It consisted of supplies like propellant, water, air, and dry cargo for the astronauts on the space station. So it was a, it was a, um, a payload that was meant as a recargo mission for the ISS. And the, the Ariane 5 rocket is powerful. Okay, it was created by the Ariane Space uh, Space Agency, um, partnered with, of course, Ariane Group, who, uh, you know, puts together the contracts for the launches happening with the launch vehicle. Ariane Space develops the launch vehicle and all the parts for it. Um, I feel very honored to have been able to even tour the facility, uh, both in France and also in um, French Guiana, which is in South America. That's where they launched from. They launched at the Amazon jungle. Uh, and it's so, so cool to be able to um, not only see a launch, but to, to feel the launch, hear kind of the crackle of the propellant of the rocket fuel, and then to be able to sort of hear it go overhead or even see it go overhead. It's, it's such a, such a crazy experience. So I highly recommend seeing a rocket launch if you have it. Okay. And our last um, thing to kind of chat about today for what's going on this week in space is our moon phase of the month. It is a full moon. This will be on March 18th at approximately 2.17 AM Eastern daylight time. And that is everything. So I'm going to go ahead and just give everyone a moment. Uh, if everyone wants to call in and ask a question or share a little space fact or anything you want to chat about, uh, feel free to go ahead and tap that call in button. And let's see. In the meantime, uh, you know, if you guys want to do that, otherwise, totally okay. For some upcoming episodes, we have our different star parties and astro events. That's going to be tomorrow. We have the interview with Dr. Kirby Runyon on March 28th at 5 p.m. Central Daylight Time. And Joshua, you are on the mic. What's up? Oh, I'm just curious. Um, I, I actually just tried to sign up for the newsletter, and yes. it's not working. So what's uh, – and I'm not sure if I'm quality assurance on the app at this point for Android or not. Um, okay, but I let's just wanted- see. Thanks for letting me know. Um, let me double check really quick. Did you, um, you said that you signed up just like right on the website, right? You put in subscribe, you put in your email. Did you receive any email back saying, awesome, you're subscribed or no? It's it's looking for a valid email address, um, which I assume my email address is valid, but I mean, and this may not be the platform for troubleshooting <laughs> right yeah, now. Um, how about, also, the chat feature yeah. is not working for me. So um, otherwise, I would have typed it in. 
Oh no. Okay. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought this to my attention. No problem at all. It's, you know, as far as it, what, what being the proper platform, totally. Okay. Um, I will shoot you a message here on this app. Um, it's, if you're able to go to your home screen, there's a little message icon at the top, right? So I can send you a message. Cause I did just try putting two new email addresses on into my, my newsletter and they both worked so we can troubleshoot that and figure that out. And as far as the the chat feature goes, it could be, you're right, it could be the Android app. It might just need a a rebooting. I'll double check with um, some of my contacts at Colin and then I'll I'll get back to you. So I would say maybe just keep a lookout in your your messages here on Colin um, if if that works for you. Otherwise, I could maybe get your email address separately. Um, Okay. Does that work? All right. Thank you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, thank you very of much. Of course. Of day. course. All right. You too. All righty. So yeah, if you guys ever want to sign up, um, it, you just head to astroathens.com. There is something right at the top that says the weekly transmission. So if you wanted to sign up for that, um, we'll make sure that it is working. I send them out once a week. It's usually like Friday or Saturday. Um, usually no later than that. And um, that's about everything. So um, on that note, I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of music, give everyone another moment if you want to call in, and then we'll head to Astronomy Picture of the Day, just to close out, because I always love exploring Astronomy Picture of the Day. Alrighty. So let's uh, all head on over. If you guys have a computer in front of you, if not, no worries. I will uh, kind of talk through what astronomy picture of the day is. Um, I love this website. It's called apod.nasa.gov. I'll type it in the chat, apod.nasa.gov. All right. Um, oh, I see. Okay. Uh, Hector just gave a really good advice, Joshua. This might be helpful. He typed this in the chat. I'll read it out loud. He says, I was able to sign up last Friday. I did notice an error like yours because I had an extra space at the end of my address. So I do apologize about that. I guess it's case sensitive. I use GoDaddy. Um, I'll double check about that. So try putting in your address and just make sure there's no extra space bar at the end. Um, and if it's still not working, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but maybe that'll help. Awesome. Just got a thumbs up. Perfect. Um, and thank you, Hector, for, for writing that. So astronomy picture of the day. Uh, it's a gorgeous picture of a nebula. It is the Eagle Nebula. And I, I never personally quite understood why it was called the Eagle Nebula. It does not look like an eagle to me. Um, I think, Astronomers are just very creative with with uh, being able to look at objects and try try to make it related to something that's here on Earth, which is awesome sometimes if it if it looks like it. But I don't quite notice the uh, the Eagle Nebula. Now, this is one of my favorite things I think in space. Probably one of my favorite types of space objects are nebulae, and that is because not only are they beautiful uh, and they're massive and they're gaseous, but because they formed most of the time from a star that died or a star that's in the process of of dying if it's a supernova remnant. And it's exactly what's needed to have new stars form. 
And so a lot of astronomers who are interested in doing research in stellar formations or maybe even the next stage, which is when a star has the, uh, the, the what it takes basically to have a bunch, of, a bunch of things form around it in an accretion disk, which could eventually form into planets. And this whole system can be called a protoplanetary disk, uh, which is what I've researched. Um, that is is such a, a great area to, to, to research, our nebulae. This is a perfect area to understand what happens when stars first form and then actually observe their whole lifetime and their whole life period. And I don't mean looking at one star and sort of watching it because, you know, we won't live long enough. Stars can live for tens of millions of years and even longer. And so but what you do see in a lot of these regions is a star that was just born. Or next to it could be a star that's already halfway through its life. And next to that could be a star that's coming close to the end of its life, like Betelgeuse. And so when you have all these different stars in the same region of the sky, this is like a, an optimal opportunity for astronomers to start to study and understand what's happening with star formation. And that could also help us understand a little bit more too about our sun and solar behavior. Uh, even though we call it solar because we call it the sun, it is still a star. And so it's stellar physics are just as relevant as looking at stars like in this, um, in this, in this uh, nebula. I'm going to go ahead and read the explanation, just maybe the first sentence, and we'll chat a bit about that. And then that's about it. It asks, where do stars come from? Well, one place are star forming regions known as eggs. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's because they're called eggs. That's pretty funny. Uh, it's short for evaporating gaseous globules. Eggs are dense regions of mostly molecular hydrogen gas that fragment and gravitationally collapse to form stars. Light from the hottest and brightest of these new stars heat the end of the pillar and cause further evaporation of gas and dust, revealing yet more eggs and more young stars. This featured picture was created from exposures spanning over 30 birth pillars over the next 100,000 years or so. Oh, excuse me. This, yep. Okay, sorry. This feature, <laughs> this feature, I know how to read. I just <laughs> skipped the sentence. This feature picture was created from exposures spanning over 30 hours with the Earth orbiting Hubble Space Telescope. That makes a lot more sense. A uh, little note there is whenever you're looking at these images, it's usually not just one picture you took and then that's the final image. It's usually hours and hours of multiple pictures overlapped on top of each other. And so this picture was created from 30 hours of the Hubble Space Telescope imaging it in the year 2014. And it was, you know, orbiting the Earth and focused on this one region of the sky. It was then digitally processed with modern software by experienced volunteers in Argentina. Newborn stars will gradually destroy their birth pillars over the next 100,000 years or so if a supernova doesn't destroy them first. So there's a little bit of context if you wanted to go ahead and check that out and sort of see um, what we're talking about, what I mean when I say that it's just absolutely stunning and beautiful, a complex, has all these different characteristics and features to it, these long streaks where you could see like different light being reflected, certain light being absorbed. And so there's silhouettes and there's reflection going on. You have bright red stars, you have young blue stars and, um, a giant 
yellowish gas cloud, which is super, super cool. Alrighty. So that is about everything. I hope you guys get to go ahead and maybe check out astronomy picture of the day on your own, or maybe you go out at night sometime this week and you can catch some of those celestial events that we spoke about. And, um, again, if you guys wanted to sign up for the newsletter, go to astroathens.com or shoot me a message with your email and I can just manually add you in as well. Alrighty. Well, thank you all so much. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day and until next time, Ad Astra.